Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, November 28th of 2023, where laypersons and pastors gather each week at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time from wherever we may be to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday, and this Sunday is December 3rd, and we are looking to be faithful to Lectionary Year B. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from this week's leader, and then in this podcast, we share, question, and challenge each other. And this week, we're welcoming back to the podcast our friend Bill Hull, who's returning from international travels. It's good to have you here. And here's the whole team joining us in today's conversation. Aaron Mickelson in Tampa. Bill Hall, back home again in St. Petersburg, Florida. Good to have you back. I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And our lead today, quite fittingly, is Bill Hall. Welcome back. And uh, he'll be reading the scriptures and guiding us through the questions for the day. How you doing, my buddy? Fine. Thank you. Good to be back. Thank you to the team for an excellent job while I was away. Um, it is good to be back. Uh, uh, few brief comments about a transition, and then we will work on this coming Sunday's gospel lesson. As you probably know, last week ended year A, and today begins year B, first Sunday of Advent. Interestingly, in Mark, which is the focus in year B, there is nothing at all of the narrative that we associate with Advent or Christmas. There's no announcements to Joseph or Mary, no family tree, no birth stories, no wise men, no star, no Herod in the flight to Egypt, no information about Jesus' childhood. Instead, Mark begins with John the Baptist and Jesus as adults embarking on their related but individual adult ministries. And during the four Sundays of Advent, we will read two passages from Mark, one from Luke, and one from John. Um, As lectionary A ended last week, the gospel lesson was from Matthew 25, the story of the separating of sheep and goats, with the ominous warning that when we do not serve those in need, persons on the margins of society, we not only fail that person, but we are also choosing to neglect and ignore God. Now, I mention that because in year B, we begin also with a warning and a challenge. Uh, In some ways, maybe a surprising way to begin uh, a season that for us as followers of Christ is so joyous. Thus, the week This coming Sunday's gospel lesson is from Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37, and I read from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Let us listen. Jesus said, but in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. 
as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, eats with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, I have three questions, and Sarah, I'm going to come to you first with question one. There are two images used in this passage, one a fig tree whose branch becomes tender and its leaves appear signaling that summer is approaching, and a homeowner who leaves on the trip putting his servants in charge, but he does not tell them when he will return. How, Sarah, do you interpret these images, each on its own, and how might the juxtaposing of them in one passage enhance our understanding of the message of this portion of Scripture? Sarah? I wondered about this. Um, Is Jesus teaching us how to recognize God's fulfillment of promise? Is this about learning to see renewal in the world around us, something that is a reminder, almost in a moment and by daily perspective, of God's hand in the world to reinforce his his promise-keeping? The fig tree makes me consider what patterns or changes that I understand by experience. You'd only know or recognize the fig tree turning green and becoming ready to bloom if you'd lived around the fig tree for a while, right? So it's an experiential learning thing. Um, it's an invitation to re-engage in wonder and watchfulness. Um, for me, um, the comp- it's a confidence that's learned by recognition. So kind of like, so we do these behaviors and these behaviors lead to this. And you learn that sequence of events, and it reinforces for you the hope and fulfillment that God's bringing to the table. Where I grew up, I observed that Easter is close to when the azaleas set their bloom. And almost every year, as soon as the azaleas are in full bloom, it's Easter. Um, And and so I kind of, your seasonal sense of, of how the world works echoes and reinforces that promise from God. Um, Now, that that might be limited to my geography, because I grew up on the coast of Mississippi, and the biome and the the way that the seasons work there 
that these is there what I'm basing my experiential knowledge on. But I wonder if that holds true. Um, if you don't live in Mississippi, if you live somewhere else. So that that would be my my thought about that. Um, this as for the journeying master of the household staff, for me this illustration presents me with a horizon over which I cannot see. And it's about sustaining that momentum and that hope across that unknowable thing. So um, a time and a place where reassurance can calm me down just as doubt starts to disrupt my calm. Um, Time and exhaustion can erode my discipline and my attention to detail. Um, And to combat this, this passage asks me to focus on the tasks and the collaboration I have with other people while I wait for the master to return. So it's interesting to me that just when I stand in need of a word of hope and encouragement, there are helping hands around me. There are people that come alongside and are doing what they do, and the conversation that we strike is a reinforcement of that hope and a, a redirection to that promise. So I, I find it's, everything is easier and more fun with help. I think, I think that's a general rule um, that we could say. And we all have tasks. We're all working in support and in concert with each other to help sustain that momentum and that readiness so that we're ready when asked and when we're prepared when needed. These are also promises about how to keep, how the Creator keeps the promise to, to us and to each other. Um, summer will come and the Master will return. Those are, those are things I can trust. Thank you, Sarah. I was particularly caught by your lifting up the communal nature of the homeowner's story. I hadn't thought of it that way. I was thinking of it somewhat individually. So thank you for that. Don, your thoughts on the fig tree, the homeowner, and how these two images uh, may speak to us. They're more independent as I've grown older than being one. They, they're different. They complement each other. One's about the fig leaf's about certainty in the face of forgetting, and the homeowner is the forgetting in the face of certainty. And uh, it's a... Uh, they, they they depend the two stories depend on each other. They're different. The fig tree is about an outer ecosystem, the certainty of that coming in the outside, and and the other is kind of an inner ecosystem. So I I agree with you, uh, Sarah, about the communal nature of what's going on. I, I also think this is great for discussion groups because if if you take a breath and pause, stay on it, stay on it for 20 minutes or half an hour and let it wind out. You know, if, if Sarah was talking. I was actually imagining things. The astonishment of a tulip tree in February in the dead of winter. What is that? You know, is that spring? Uh-uh. Looks like spring. Sounds like spring. And the breeze. But it's not. But it's that strong. And I'm picturing the astonishment of the buds in the snowy weather, uh, what that's like. So for the fig tree, I think there's messages here about losing track of time even though the seasons are certain, at least in this kind of literature, they're certain. You lose hope in the deep winter. You lose a sense of the seasons. What was that like? You know, can I not remember the feeling of the sun on my face? No, but look, remember, 
it's like Jesus saying, do the work, do the work, think, 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 take your time, get your head up. You lose your memory. You lose your sense memory. I don't know what it was like to feel the sun on my face. It's been so long. Oh, whole, how long, oh, Lord? What will it be before I get there? So there's that losing that sense. And, and, and Jesus is talking about jogging the memory with these signs. And then the other on the home, Sarah, I, I really am with you all the way on that. Uh, here you lose track of time, too. You lose hope. You lose memory. Uh, and you lose the sense of a complete household. And how is that maintained? The house is alive. Ask a child. Point to a house. And go, what is that? I think the best answer will come from there. Dinner. What? It's a house. No, that's dinner. Sleep. Rest. A party. There's a party. There's going to be a party. Someone's going to have a birthday. There's a celebration. That's where I keep things. I store things. That's where I get out of the rain. I mean, the child will go on and on and on. House. What is a house? It's a people. And in this case, the house is incomplete, but it can carry through. The child goes, dogs, food, sustenance, whatever it might be. I dream at night. This is where I go to sleep. Uh, the owner's words are alive. The owner's life is alive in that house, but it, there's an accountability here that's unlike the fig that, that, that it, can you remember every day. And I think, I think Bill, the, the memory of the whole home, like the prodigal coming in another uh, book of the Bible, coming back, I believe the prodigal smells the house before he even gets there. All of the totality of that, coming back to that place, it's kept alive by the work. By, by the cleaning and the maintenance and the repairs and the celebrations, as if he were there. You know, it's almost like she were here. The way that, haven't you heard it before? You know, it's like, it's like she's here. It tastes like, it's, but she's not here. But the house is even painted the way she would paint it. It's echoing, echoing. And I think that's that attention to working together. Just by doing, you're not asleep. And we're doing it the master's way. That's what I've got, Bill. Thank you, Don. <clears throat> um, as usual, Jesus uses a variety of images, one from nature, the fig tree, and the other from however we want to characterize it, human culture, uh, leadership, responsibility, and your word, Don, accountability. And the impact those two make on me is, folks, this is obvious. You don't have to have a degree in biology or a PhD in leadership to understand these illustrations. So I, I think there's a, a forcefulness in Jesus' choice of images. Folks, look at what is there in plain view. This is not rocket science to use our modern day. Uh, colloquialism uh, and to me Jesus is saying pay attention to what is clear pay attention um, and for me in, in some ways when I looked at this again this year preparing my questions I thought why did the lectionary start Advent with this passage, well, here's what I came to. It's a signal. Remember, we're supposed to, we are to pay attention to what is on. It's a signal to us that this baby whose birth we prepare to celebrate 
will lead us into lives not of ease or necessarily wealth, but instead to lives of sacrifice, risk, possible rejection, with the command to focus on those who by human standards are the least. So I think the lectionary people made a good choice. Yes, we're going to hear the story of the birth and we're going to celebrate the the shepherds and the wise men, but um, be aware that this child will grow to be one who leads us into difficult places. Now, Ray Stevens in his song, Everything is Beautiful, used the proverb, there are none so blind as those who will not see. (laughs) That could be the title, I think, to this passage. There are none so blind as those who will not see. Understanding cannot be forced on someone who chooses to be ignorant. And in the spirit of what we often say, this is true of me. This is true of us. It's not just they choose to be ignorant and not pay attention, but it is a reminder that we can choose to see and act based on the reality that we see. Question two, Don, I'm coming to you in just a moment. Uh, Based on the lectionary in Advent Year B, we begin with warnings and admonitions, as I mentioned. Then next week in the Gospel of Mark, we will read about the ministry of John the Baptist. Then in the Gospel of John, we will encounter John the Baptist as he seeks to clarify that his ministry is one of preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Finally, week four in the Gospel of Luke, we will hear the announcement to Mary that she will give birth to the Messiah. How does this week's beginning of the Advent journey impact you, and how does it prepare us for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ? Don? Jesus in today's text picks reminders and signals that are familiar to any audience anywhere, anytime. You know, it could be labeled, you know, you want to at the top of the margin and uh, in the Bible it might say something about mystery and apocalypse, but pretty, it's pretty simple. It's touch and taste and feel and memory of where we were before. And it's, it's I could refer us to Charles Dickens in terms of what the Advents are uh, the many advents in his literature, which are not about a Christmas season, but about the season of life, the seasons of life and bringing together all those pieces and the awakeness, the sleep and awakeness. Um, so for, for me, uh, Advent has changed in terms of the calendar a great deal in my life, where Advent was a fixed thing at a particular time around December. And I love the church calendar. I, lo- I love it. I love the lectionary. I, I love the Christmas season. I love the Advent season. Uh, but it's not that it's that season and that calendar is receded. It's that it's all starting to catch up around me. And that's a happy thought, that the memory, the sense of Advent is more continuous in my life, which is I feel some of you might go, oh, you just don't pay attention to Christmas anymore. It's like, no, it's it's changing. Maybe I'm paying attention all the time. So it's a, it's a happy thought for me. I'm seeing I'm seeing the buzz more often in the de- in this decade of life without needing the prompt of the calendar, which I think is what lectionary does for us too. So that's a happy thought. Now, a dark thought. And I just want to test this on you. Uh, 
let's do the household. I've never really spent time thinking about what it is to fall asleep if you're keeping watch and to wake up. There's, the, there's a subtext here about the waking up if you're startled. And I just I would invite everybody to meditate on what it is to be startled awake, to, to have been asleep. Not, okay, let's do a few examples. You nod off in class, remember? And you wake up. You don't know how long you've been asleep. Maybe your head bobbed one second, but it's, where am I? What's happening? The blood pressure goes up. What's going on? Someone startles you. What? What, Mary? I don't know where I am. I fall asleep. I wake up in the night. These are things we all have in common with each other. And I think it's not written here, but I think we're asked to meditate on it. What is it like to have fallen asleep and be shocked? What are you thinking? How lost are you when the master shows up and you are asleep? We didn't talk about that. I don't think very much. And so it's a little dark because uh, you, you, you are lost. You don't know where you were. You don't know what took place. Uh, I, I, was, uh, I was searching for other literature that could illustrate it. And there's, you know, hundreds of readings. There's a, there's a poem by Lorene Nidecker called What Horror to Awake at Night. <laughs> and, you know, and we all have fallen asleep. But what is it to have lost your place? So it opens with, what horror to awake at night. And in the dimness, see the light. Time is white. Mosquitoes bite. I spent my life on nothing. And it goes on and on about I'm reflecting on my day. And it's like, what am I doing? It's, it's, in, in this case, it's, you know, what are the mechanical things I'm doing without paying attention? I've been asleep. So what is it like to be startled? You know, I know I would be startled with the coming of Christ in some ways, but to be startled in the not the like where was I? Sorry, what were you doing? What are you doing? What's going on? I was asleep. So the inability to use memory or retrospectively to be ready that we're already working, we're already doing things. So I, I just wanted to offer some additional thinking. Do you remember what it was like to be startled awake, and how did you feel? Do you like that? I don't like it at all. And I think we're asked to reflect on that. That's what I got, Bill. Thank you, John. Uh, Sarah. I, how do we hear the promises of God in the midst of crisis? I hear this as an invitation to re-engage, to look forward, to let my eyes adjust to the new and to see the hands of God at work in the world around me. What I am seeing for the, what am I seeing for the first time? What am I hearing for the first time? And in what way is the spirit shaking me loose from my routine, my pattern, my security, and moving me towards something new and maybe a deeper understanding at all the same time? So this passage gives me purpose. I have tasks to do. I have people to help. I can keep observant. I can clean as I go, I can decorate, I can bake, I can gift, I can repeat. All in an effort to sustain or build joy. I can rest in readiness. So in contrast to Don's sense of falling asleep unplanned, I'm thinking of how does it feel to fall asleep when I know I'm ready? 
and the calm that can come over you when you know you have worked toward the thing and you are prepared. Now, I will tell you that there's that moment of, okay, my water broke. I guess today's the day anxiety that sets in about, okay, everything we prepared for is now upon us, so to speak. But there's also that sense of you can see beyond the crisis toward what you've rehearsed. And that's why you practice, right? If we liken it to a theatrical process, you practice, you practice, you practice, you rehearse, you remember, you remember, you remember, and then you perform. And that informs how you'll perform next. So it's this constant cycle of, and I'm going to use a, I think it's Deming's idea of plan, do, act, repeat, plan, do, study, study, act, plan, do, study, act. So you kind of keep going through this cycle until it's learned, until it's something that happens second nature to what you're doing. And I love this idea of being able to rest in readiness. And Don, I'll challenge you. I don't know that you can fall asleep by accident anymore because you're aware. You might have been able to do that before you became kind of a thoughtful person that paid attention to the things that are around you. But now that you're there, you can fall asleep, but you can also wake up with, okay, what's new? It's kind of like that little kid that wakes up and goes, I'm excited. What are you excited for? I'm just excited for everything. And it's like, what a wonderful place to be. So that's where I am. Keep awake. (laughs) Thank you, sir. And, Don, you are right. It is very disconcerting to be startled awake. Um, For me, this passage reminds me that the here and now is the only time in which I can act. I can think about the future. I can plan, Sarah, as you said. But we are not to speculate about the future. Jesus, I love this, Jesus insisted that even he did not know the timing of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God on earth. And I think that's a helpful uh, corrective. Ron Bell, in his book, Love Wins, says, it it often appears that those who talk the most about going to heaven when you die talk the least about bringing heaven to earth right now, as Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At the same time, it often appears that those who talk the most about relieving suffering now talk the least about heaven when you die, end quote. Now, that is not to deny the promise of life of God after our human death. It is to call us to act and serve as Jesus did. Jesus could be interrupted. His course of journey could be stopped. Because he was aware of the sufferings and needs right before him, and he responded with compassion and generosity, calling and equipping others to serve human needs as Jesus did. On my trip, I read a book by Doris Kern Goodwin 
uh, on the leadership of four different presidents. And the thread was that no matter what their upbringings, Abraham Lincoln raised in a form of poverty, others raised with wealth, they were able to sense the needs of the country at that time and in some ways act against their own upbringing. So the the heart of it is compassion and generosity. Now, uh, I will finish with a brief quote from Frederick Beekner about the Gospel of Mark. Beekner says, half of Mark has to do with the last days in Jerusalem and the way Jesus handled them and the way Jesus was handled himself. Now, what that says to me is Jesus would not be deterred from his calling and mission. That's another part of seeing and being alert is not letting ourselves be deflected or deterred. Third question. In this week's passage, we are told once to keep alert and twice the command is to keep awake. What is your understanding of how Jesus wants us to be alert and awake? For me, this is a message deeply relevant to our present times. See what is right before us in obvious view. Take it seriously. Do not be duped by those who falsely create catastrophes to suit their personal or political grasp for power. And when hatred, fear, and revenge are encouraged, why are we surprised by the utter disregard for human lives and dignity that ensues? Uh, it um, It's difficult right now for me not to stay in a dark place at the enormous inhumanity that is so often happening. And I'll finish my comments and go to others with this from Caroline Lewis, November 2011, Working Preacher. She writes, there is a certain realness in this gospel text to begin the Advent season. It cuts through any sentimentality and romanticism about Christmas and reminds us that incarnation is risky business. The darkening of the sun, the dimming of the moon's light, and the stars falling from heaven means the end of the world as we have known it. That death will be no more because God will die is something to anticipate that death will be no more because God will die is something to anticipate during Advent. This is not to be a downer just when being really kicks into high gear with white Christmas. It is to speak the truth about ourselves and our unrealistic expectations about God and how God exceeds them. Again, to me, there's a strength and an urgency to that. Sarah, your thoughts on this? If I'm watchful, I will see the fig, and I will watch for the azalea to bloom and bud, and I will know what comes next. And I'll share a secret with you. Easter eggs are the same color as azaleas. You can hide the Easter eggs under the azaleas, and nobody will find them. 
as I am keeping my mind and my heart in a place of readiness, even when I rest, I am able to do so with confidence. I think that's the important bit, is, is once you start to see the promise um, manifest in, in everything around you, you're able to have more confidence than you had the day before, and, and you can speak to it to the people around you who may be failing. And I think that's part of why community is so valuable, why church is important, by going to church is important. Um, you know, not to mention you know, the oxytocin that you receive when you hug and when you see each other and you do eye-to-eye contact and all that wonderful stuff that happens chemically within your physiology. But it's it's the intent that we need the encouragement. We need the confidence that each other carries. So I'm able to resist being lulled into dullness, into hopelessness, only by gathering with my friends, only by talking with others who were standing in wonder. And I'm reminded that I can stand in wonder. And I think that's what the keep awake is, is to say, remember where you go to get refilled. You remember where the gas stations are because you're driving your car or, you know, where you plug in. Um, I'm happy to say I plug in. And so it's the sense of you know what's going to feed your soul, and that's what you reach for. Once you've started figuring that out and you've come to that place where you know what's going to sustain you, you reach for that, and you stand in wonder. Sarah, thank you for – this is an ominous passage, and I like your reminding us that there is refreshment in worship and fellowship. Uh, I, I, I like juxtaposing those. Very helpful. Don? Yeah, it, it's a, a certainty first. Uh, and for me, you know, I've, I've been talking about a lot of other things. And, you know, for certainty first, this is happening. This is happening. I don't know when, but this, that's message number one. That this business of life that goes on especially with this household, engagement in the business of life appears to matter very, very much. Not just as a metaphor, but it's all tied into the life following the way. So it's a metaphor and the business of life matters. And Sarah, your point that we help each other, we help each other. And the management of a wealth, well-functioning business of life, a well-functioning household, a well-functioning business, a well-functioning task, a well-functioning chore matters very much. I know this is all being used as a metaphor in some ways in terms of being awake, but it's also, I think, meant to be real. The awareness of what we're doing for each other, and Sarah, you just, just made me smile as you talk about our responsibility to each other. You know, there's a, there's a worn-out kind of tropes and plays and literature. It's made fun of a lot, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of do it, Sarah. It's like... You have the person sitting there staring into space, and it's like, it's raining outside, Don. Oh, I didn't notice. Oh, it's snowing. It's been snowing for three days. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and we it, it's been used in comedy a lot because it sets the tone for somebody that's not paying attention or doing those things. But I, I thought about that, Sarah. Think about the little things we do for each other to stay awake. And I'm thinking about chores 
we have we act this awakeness out. I think I think you'd suggested this is a learning process we do for each other. We don't just have to go wake each other up, but it's a learning. If it is the business of life, then my father taught me how to repair a lawnmower and I can smell the gasoline and I can smell him and I can remember all of that and it wasn't a chore. He took me deep into the into the process as a boy. I you know, and I think a good example would be do you say chore or task, or do you or do you say a calling or a profession? Is this something you do and set aside? Do you have to repair the roof? Oh no, or are you a roof repairer? Do you have to cook? Do you have to cook the dinner, or are you a chef? Uh, I think about people who you, know, you stand back and look at them, and this is the opposite of the person that sighs and says, "I didn't even know it was raining." It's like well, there's a lot of love in this food, or you know, she, she's obsessed with this, and she, she puts everything she can into it. She loves what she's doing. He loves cooking those things. Uh, and that's because that was taught. Maybe it goes back generations. We've lost track of who instilled the love of the repair. But I think it has a lot to do with that person going, would you like to know how I do this? Would you like to come to my workshop? Little guy, want to come see? Yeah, I'd like to see. Well, let me show you. It's going to take hours. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We'll do it again tomorrow and do it better. We'll do it again and again. Now, is that an original idea? No, it goes all the way back. We see it even in the Old Testament. So I think the awakeness combined with the business of life is the awakeness too. And Sarah, I'm just echoing, I think, what you've been uh, laying out as well. Well, I think our time is just about up. But before we say goodbye, uh, let's just go around and see if there's any additional comments. Everybody okay? Outstanding, Bill. Thanks. Yeah. I'm going to quote Ted Lasso. Stay curious. Yeah. Thank you. You know, we just finished the uh, Gospel of uh, Matthew in year A, and, you know, it's just the book, for me, the book of questions. Ask Jesus. He may ask you something, too. Let's go. Let's go. Thank you for that quote. And uh, Palmasia Presbyterian Church makes this podcast possible. They're at 3501 West San Jose. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that to you for great sermons, discussions of lectionary, disagreements about lectionary, prayers, meditations, outstanding music. So check that out. And you're always welcome. And we will see you next time.